Good morning and welcome. We're glad that you're here today. It's a beautiful day. Uh, we do want to wish all of our fathers today a very happy day. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we have to honor you. Uh, we're very grateful for the influence that you exert, not just in this congregation, but also in your home. And we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to express thanks to you for all that you do and continue to do. I'm very grateful for this period of worship, the songs that we've been privileged to sing, the prayer that has been offered, the reflection on the death of Christ and the giving of our means. And so it's a great day. We're very, very grateful for the opportunity to be here together today. I do want to say welcome to Michael only and his family. They are here for the first time in quite some time. Many of you remember when Michael was a student at MSOP, and they are in town today. Their son Garrett is graduating from MSOP. They were here, I think Garrett was 12 when they left here, and so it's hard to believe that he's already graduating from school and will be entering into, uh, I think he's going to go on to college and then hopefully and prayerfully uh, be able to preach and teach for many, many years. <clears throat> I want to call, you, call your attention this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. As you are turning there, I want to express appreciation to Jared for preaching in my absence last week. I appreciate Jared and Anna and Charlie and the great influence that they have here at this congregation. Also, thank you to all those who worked at VBS. I wasn't able to be here, but I did get the opportunity to see all the great decorations and a lot of time and effort planning went into this VBS and I know that there were a lot of kids here and there's no way that we could adequately express appreciation to each and every person who had a part in VBS but it was, uh, it was a great week and uh, very, very grateful for all the work that you put in to make this past week a great, great week. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have the writer providing us with these words. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. One of the great things that we have the benefit of participating in each and every week is worship and Bible study. And we're so blessed to have the opportunity to be in the presence of God, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you remember Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23, regarding our worship, that God seeks such to worship Him. God is interested in our worship. I think about in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah said he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. And he said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. When we come together for worship, we are in the presence of a God who is high and lifted up. We are in the presence of a holy God. And we're so grateful for all the benefits and the blessings that we enjoy as Christians Sometimes the question arises, should I attend every church service? I think that's a good question. I think it's a valid question. 
So what I want us to do is to think for a minute or two about the opportunities that are afforded us as we come together each and every week. Potentially, at this congregation, we have about five times a week that we can assemble together. Sometimes because of work, we're unable to be present for maybe a Bible study on Sunday, or rather Tuesday morning. There are occasions when work would prohibit us from coming together on Sunday or Wednesday night. And then there are instances in which physical illness, disability, makes it difficult for us to attend worship or Bible study. But what about those of us who have the opportunity, those of us who have no outstanding obligations, Physically, we're in good health. Should we attend every service of the church? So I want us to think about that question for a minute. And what I want us to do is look at three very specific things in this context. First, I want you to note that worship is about inspiration. And I want us to look at verses 23 and 24. First and foremost, in verse 23, there is the call to steadfastness. Here's what the Hebrew writer said again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In order to appreciate what the writer is saying here, I think you have to have some idea of the basis behind which the book was penned in the first century. The writer is addressing Christians who have a Hebrew background. In other words, they had come out of Judaism. They had embraced the Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One. And so, after a period of time, some of the Hebrew Christians were on the verge of going back to Judaism. Some were lapsing in their faith. And so, what the writer is doing in effect, is asking the question, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? Why would you want to go back to a covenant that in no way supersedes the new covenant? Because in Hebrews chapter 8, he said, the covenant under which we now live was founded upon better promises. And so, throughout the book, there are numerous exhortations. As a matter of fact, He uses a literary device some 13 times in the book. And the catchphrase is, let us. If you go back and look at chapter 2, some were neglecting their salvation. And he identifies that salvation as a great salvation. In chapter 5, some had become dull of hearing. He said some were not growing as they should have. And as a result of that, they had difficulty discerning between good and evil. And so, with that in, light, with that in mind, in verse 23, he said, Look, let us, as the children of God, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So, there is this call to steadfastness. Because potentially... One of the things that happens in the world, when we come together on the first day of the week, we have the opportunity to, as we say sometimes, recharge our battery, our spiritual battery. 
The world is constantly pounding us. The devil is doing everything within his power to circumvent our faith. And so what the writer is saying, first and foremost, don't give in. Don't give in to the overtures of the devil. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil. In James chapter 4 verse 7, James said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And so the idea of remaining constant or steadfast in our faith, in other words, don't give, don't give in. Don't give in to the advancements of the devil. And then there's a second thing. Don't give in, but don't give up. Sometimes people give up the faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, the writer talks about the potential of becoming weary and discouraged in our souls. So you think about when we come together, whether it be the first day of the week or Tuesday morning or Wednesday night, whether it be for worship or Bible study, one of the things that we're doing is we are inspiring hope. And the idea is to overcome discouragement. Sometimes we become discouraged, which leads to depression and despondency. And so it's a reality. One of the greatest tools the devil has is discouragement. If he can discourage you in the faith, then what happens? Sometimes you just give up. You walk away. And so the writer is saying, look, don't give up the faith. Listen to him down in verse 30. Look at verse 36, or rather verse 35. Do not cast away your confidence. He said, which has great reward. Think about the hope of heaven. The Bible says that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. We have all these great blessings and favors. Sometimes people are willing to lay those aside because of discouragement, despondency, depression, because they become weary from life. Worship, however, can inspire us. And so there's this call to steadfastness. Don't give in. Don't give up, and then by all means, don't give out. Don't quit. Sometimes, for whatever reason, people walk away from the faith. Again, the writer said, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. In verse 36, listen to what he says. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Is it not the case that sometimes we need to be reminded Christianity is not a sprint? It's a marathon. So what we have to do is understand it is a daily exercise in life. We're in this thing for the long haul. We have to have endurance. We have to have a persevering spirit. Yes, it's possible that we grow weary, discouraged, despondent, depressed. Sometimes we want to give in. We want to give up. We want to give out. And the writer's saying, look, don't do that. Listen again to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 39. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, that is to destruction, but of those who, listen to him, those who believe to the saving of the soul. We have too much at stake to walk away from the faith. So first, there is this call to steadfastness. And then secondly, there is the call to stimulate others in the faith. First, the call to steadfastness in the faith. Secondly, there is the call to stimulate others in the faith. So look at verse 24. 
And let us, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When we come together as a body of believers, did you know that we can be a catalyst for inspiring others in the faith? First, we can be a catalyst as an affectionate saint. Think about this. Christianity is built around the idea that we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and that we love one another. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. So, when I see others who love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind, when I see others who, who love God and want to live for Him day in, day out, does that not inspire me to greater heights of love? Do you remember John said, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. When we come together on the first day of the week or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever the case may be, one of the things, that, one of the things I think that, that happens is we reflect upon the tremendous love that God has for us. You think about the golden text of the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Think about what Paul said in Romans chapter five, but God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about what John said in 1 John chapter four, verse eight, God is love. Paul would write in Ephesians two, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love, wherewith he loved us. Can we not be a catalyst as an affectionate saint? In other words, is it not the case that our love for God can become infectious, inspirational? And then there's another idea here. And that is to be a catalyst as an active saint. Listen to what he says again in verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Did you know that you have been created in Christ Jesus? You've been created for the purpose of engaging in good works. Paul said we are his workmanship. In other words, we are God's masterpiece in Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are God's work of art on display for the world. And he said we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We've been saved to serve. So when we come together on the first day of the week, we think about the opportunities to serve, don't we? And we can inspire others to greater heights of service. Christianity is not just about worshiping God, it's about serving Him. It's about being active in His kingdom. I can't help but think about what Paul said in Titus chapter 2, verse 7. How as children of God, we are to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. In other words, we show the world what it means to be involved in the work of God. We show others in the body of Christ. In chapter 2, verse 14 of that same book, he would say, be zealous of good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, be ready unto every good work. When we come together, we are inspired to steadfastness. We're inspired to stimulate others. And so, what a great opportunity as children of God 
to come together to meet as a community of believers. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, worship is about inspiration, but then secondly, worship is about adoration. Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Let me just pause here and talk about the object of worship. Apparently, there were some in the first century who were not worshiping God as regularly as they should have. And let me just say this very quickly. If you look at the context here, what the writer is saying is that failing to come to worship, failing to be a part of corporate worship to God, can have serious implications with regard to our spirituality. In other words, with regard to our relationship to Christ. Because if you look at the context, he's talking about apostasy here. And he's saying that one of the, one of the dangers of not coming together as we should regularly is that the devil can get a foothold in our lives. And as a result of that, crowd the Lord out and thus, we leave the faith. So what about the object of our worship? Now, Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, that we are to worship the Lord our God and him only are we to serve? The psalmist in the long ago said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. We're in the presence of God. So we have the opportunity to praise the God of creation, don't we? Praise God the creator. Aren't you grateful to live in a world that has been fashioned by the handiwork of God? To recognize that God has made us in his own image and likeness? That he has housed within each of us a spirit that will live forever, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Think about how God, has been, how God has been so good to his creation. We praise God as our creator. Step outside this building and you see evidence for a God. In Psalm 148, the psalmist calls creation to bow in reverence to God, to praise him for all that he is and all that he's done. So over and over again, he invokes this this theme of praise the Lord. We praise God every first day of the week as our creator. We also praise him as our sustainer. Paul, in preaching to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, said that it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. That God is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. Did you know that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good? He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That God is the one who has dispensed unto each of us all the great blessings and favors of life. The psalmist said, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits in Psalm 68, 19. James said, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. When we come together as a corporate body of believers, we have the opportunity to praise God the creator and God the sustainer. The universe in which we live 
is held in check. Sometimes we talk about checks and balances. Our universe is held in check by the hand of a loving God, isn't it? The Hebrew writer would tell us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that God upholds all things by the word of his power. So we, pray, we praise God, the creator, God, the sustainer, and then God, the redeemer. What do we do every first day of the week? We think about the death of Jesus, don't we? As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we come face to face with the sacrificial love of Jesus, the love of God. Jesus instituted this supper as a memorial feast. And he would say, this do in remembrance of me. When we come together on the first day of the week, we are reminding ourselves that we are blessed because of what Jesus did in our stead. Think about it. Jesus gave his body for our sins. Peter said he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. We partake of the fruit of the vine. Remembering the blood that was shed on Calvary for our sins. If we're not in worship on a regular basis, is it possible that we lose sight of the cross and what the Lord has done for us? As a result of that, there are serious spiritual implications. So we have the opportunity to praise God the creator, God the sustainer, God the redeemer. Think about Jesus when he came to earth. He said the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Think about the love that God has for each of us. Should we not praise him regularly for all he's done for us? We should. And we ought to love him. We ought to have gratitude in our hearts for all that God has done and continues to do in our lives. So we think about the object of our worship and then the observation of worship. I mentioned a moment ago that one of the problems among those in the first century, some were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. In other words, they were forsaking corporate worship. And so, periodically, we worship God. In other words, we do so on a regular basis. And I want to ask you, I want you to think about this for a minute. When we talk about regularly coming together, whether it be Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever the case may be, whether it's for corporate worship or Bible study, where else would we want to be on Sunday? Where else would we want to be on Sunday night? Where else would we want to be on Wednesday night? And when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, is that not a motivating factor for wanting to come together on the first day of the week or wanting to come together for Bible study? You think about how the world is constantly bombarding us. We live in a godless nation. We live in a godless world. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. As a matter of fact, one translation says the whole world lies in darkness. And Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. At best, it is a daily fight to live in this world, is it not? 
And so with gratitude in our hearts, with love for God, a desire to grow closer to Him, we come together every opportunity we have. And I would ask this question, where else would we want to be? You think about what a frenzy. People will get in in a couple more months when football starts. People pay good money to go to football games. They don't have a problem sitting out in the rain or sleet or snow. They don't mind if the weather drops down into the 30s or 20s. Why? Because they love their team. People don't have a problem getting up at 4 a.m. To go, to go deer hunting. Why? Because they like to hunt. People don't have a problem going fishing because they like to fish. All I'm saying is when we love, when we love something or love doing something, it's not a problem. We want we want to do those things, don't we? So if we really love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, why would we want to be anywhere else? I mean, it would just stand to reason we would want to be here. Look, you need all the help you can get. Your children need all the help they can get. I think about fathers today. We have an enormous responsibility resting upon our shoulders. Because Paul said, And your fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The world wants your children. The devil wants your children. 168 hours in the week. And we come together, what, four hours a week, five hours at best? And we can't fit that into our schedule? We don't think enough of our children to bring them to Bible study and worship? I want to ask you this question. Are you the spiritual leader that God wants in your home? Are you leading by example? When we talk about the benefits and blessings of, of corporate worship and Bible study, we ought to see the benefit. We're trying to go to heaven. And the world in which we live, man, it is tough. And we can't give the Lord two or three or four hours a week? Really? I mean, think about that. It's about priority. It's about loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. If you love God, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you want to spend eternity with Him, look, it's not a matter of do I have to come. You want to be here. Why? Because, because that's, what, that's who you are. So, periodically we worship God, and our participation in worship is imperative. We worship God in spirit with the right attitude. We don't worship by proxy, but rather we engage in that process. Now, very quickly and thirdly, our time's gone. Worship is about edification. Did you know that we are edified in our worship to God? Two things very quickly I want to share with you. Worship builds our faith. Think about that. When we come together, when we engage in singing, we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs one to another. We're teaching each other, aren't we? We're encouraging one another. And then when we study His Word, what we're trying to do is build our faith in God. Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Worship and Bible study afford us the opportunity to build our faith, to grow stronger, 
Worship not only builds our faith, but I want to suggest to you this morning, it blesses our faith. There are a lot of people in our world today that, quite frankly, are looking for something. It's like they're captaining a ship that doesn't have a rudder. And if you don't have a rudder, you have no direction whatsoever. And so there are a lot of people in our world today, they have no direction in life. They're wandering aimlessly about this world. They have, they have no idea what their purpose is in life. They have no idea where they're headed in life. And yet, worship affords us tremendous blessings. Worship keeps before us God's will and God's ways and God's word. I think about the words of the psalmist when he said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. The world is in darkness. And when we come together on the first day of the week, we're holding up the word of God and we're saying, look, this is our beacon of light. This is our compass, our GPS. This book will get us home. How are we going to get home if we don't follow this book? How are we going to get home if we never reflect upon this book, if we never meditate on the truths of this great book? So we're, we are edified in worship and we are, we are equipped in worship. Equipped for what? For service? For steadfastness? Let me just close by saying this. You remember the old sign that used to be out in the foyer of many auditoriums? And the sign simply read, enter to worship, leave to serve. We come to give, to give God the honor that he is due. Do we get blessings from that? Yes, we do. But we leave here with renewed zeal. A desire to serve the Lord, to do what we can to advance his cause, to lift him up in the community so that the world about us may see Christ living in us and that God might be glorified. So I want to close by asking you this very personal question. Should I attend every church service? I think you know the answer. But the short answer is yes. Why? Well, because we want to. Because we want to be here because we love God that much. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins. That through believing on His name, repenting of your sin, confessing His name before others, being baptized into Christ, all of your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. God will then put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. And if you live faithfully until death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here today and your life is not what it ought to be, and you want the prayers of the church, look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Maybe you need to reprioritize your life. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.